Ever since uh, 1987, when I joined the staff of a Christian organization at the University of Minnesota, who was interested in reaching students with the message of Christ, I've been asking that question. How do you take the message of Jesus and reach a culture or a group that has, by and large, decided to check out on organized religion or Christianity or views Jesus as irrelevant? I've been asking that question constantly for, what is that, 17-some years. As a college freshman, I was deeply impacted by one of the campus groups, and, and, and actually it was a variety of all kinds of things that was going on in my life, and I gave my life to Christ, and I wanted to follow him and know him, and, and shortly thereafter, I thought, man, this is the greatest thing. It is very, very difficult to be a follower of Jesus, but there's something deep within me, some kind of peace, some kind of joy, that this is, this is awesome. I want to pass this off to as many people as I possibly can. And as I've studied this thing and as I've looked at it and thought about it and, and uh, really have read a lot of books on the whole thing, I'm not, trying to, I'm not an expert, I, I, I really struggle with this whole area, it seems like churches and ministries kind of fall into one of two groups. Group number one takes a very pragmatic approach. If it works, let's just do it. It's the, it's, maybe you've heard of the seeker-sensitive model of church planting or church growth, and it, it basically says this, if we just go to a community and, and hang out our shingle and say, we're a contemporary church, we preach in blue jeans, and there's nothing wrong with preaching in blue jeans, go ahead, but, but uh, and we have PowerPoint, and, and we're not traditional, then people just will flock to it, and there was some truth to that, and I... And I think what the truth was, was I think at the time when this was happening in the late 80s up until just recently, what was happening was there was this massive worship war going on in the church. Those of you who are old enough to know this, like I am, there was this massive worship war going on in the church where it was very traditional. It was kind of a liturgical style that was a turn of the century all the way up until the 50s. It was very popular. Uh, it, was, it was hymns and organs and choirs and all that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, all these young pucks came up and said, let's put drums in the church. Drums, for some reason, was, I don't know, people wrote books about how evil, evil drums were. And there was this war going on in the church. Contemporary, modern, or excuse me, contemporary or, or traditional. And, and they were going back and forth. And what this new movement said is, forget them. You know, just forget them. Because the most contemporary you're going to get there is, I love you, Lord, with some guy banging on a conga. We're going to light it up. We're going to play third day songs or whatever. We're going to make it really cool over here. And so people did flock to those up until recently. I don't think it's happening as much anymore because kind of everybody's contemporary now. These churches by and large, these ministries by and large, were really into uh, understanding culture, being very much like the culture. And so that when you came in, it, 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 everything was just like if you went into a bar almost, minus all the alcohol or anything. It just had the same feel. There wasn't a whole lot of difference. As a result, some of the downsides of this, this movement was uh, there wasn't a whole lot of biblical thinking or biblical training being done. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of deep encounters with God as seeing him as transcendent and awesome and worthy of your worship, which some of the liturgical churches did a great job of. I mean, I'm, I'm not Catholic, but let me just tell you this. And I don't agree with everything in the Catholic Church, but let me tell you this. When the priests walk in with the, when the word of God is held up and everybody stands up, that's awesome. 
I mean, that's really cool. We should do that. I mean, we don't have that kind of thing, but it's, that's great. And they lose that. It's, it, basically, a lot of times these churches, the, the criticism of these churches, they've been painted as Christianly light. Can't handle all of it? That's okay. Do one of these. The flip side to that are churches who, who kind of reacted to this worship war thing and they said, forget it. We are going to be just pure. We're going to be theologically sound. We are going to be a group that says uh, we are the holder of the truth. We are not going to give it up. There's battle stations kind of in these churches and they're not so much with the culture as they are with other, other Christian groups. They're like, well, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. And they don't really bother engaging with the culture at all. And some of the things that, this church, that these churches are are just fantastic. I've learned so much from much of the writings of, of these type of churches. Their high view of Scripture, of God, of the truth being solved. There is no fluff in this group. The God that they preach is 100% good, 100% sovereign. He's 100% powerful and 100% true. True. He's in, he's in total control. And I, I love the picture of God in this group. However, when it comes to engaging culture and it comes to reaching people, and that the, these churches just kind of seem they're, they're out of touch or they're irrelevant or they're just plain clueless. I mean, just people just don't react talk that way or think that way? Does it have to be that way? Do you have to do one or the other? And my contention is that you don't have to choose one or the other. I've been deeply impacted by both of these kind of camps. And you can see books written that it's either being pragmatic or being what I would call relevant to society, or it's being about true to the message, which is, which is all about the Bible and what I'd call reverent. Can't you do both? I'm not saying it's easy, but can't you do both? Hope Community Church was founded on the principle that you can do both. We have a lot to learn. In fact, I'm going to take the next four days along with Mike and Tim, and we're going to go suffer for Jesus in Seattle. <laughs> I love Seattle. It's just it's a great city. And, uh, but we're going to ask that question of ourselves. How do, you, how do you do that? And I think you can I think you can, I'm not saying it's easy, but I think you can be intensely interested in God and in good biblical thinking and in deep theology and deep, uh, deep movements of the Spirit in your life and also read Relevant Magazine. I love Relevant Magazine. I totally commend it to you. Uh, and, and be totally relevant with pop culture. I think you can. Why do I think you can? It's because I got a model of it. It's the Bible. You know, oftentimes you think, well, Bible times are in the Acts. Well, they spoke like they were in the Bible. Well, they were in the Bible. I mean, that's the way they spoke because that's the times they were in. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at how in the book of Acts and especially how the Apostle Paul dealt with this issue. We are just going to start off now today with we're going to see Paul's first message that he's ever going to give that we have recorded um, to a group. And we're going to see, we're really just going to kind of be flies on the wall and listen as Paul preaches this message to a group of people and how is he both relevant and reverent at the same time. So man, we are in for a treat this morning because I'm not preaching Paul. The Apostle Paul is preaching this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, that would be great. Acts chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 13. Like I said before, the, the book of Acts shifts in middle of 12 and it becomes now about the ministry of Paul or Saul. We finally are going to call him Paul from now on for good. And 
Um, we're going to hear a lot of messages from Paul, and Paul is my hero of being relevant and reverent. He is, he does it perfectly. He does something that I call the purity of the gospel, the reverence of the gospel, and the mobility of the gospel. He makes it accessible to all kinds of people. If you don't believe me, look at how he talks to him. Not, not now, because you're supposed to be at Acts 13 now, but look later on your own free time, look at Acts 17, how he deals with these bunch of philosophers who like to just sit around and... and uh, um, Talk. I can't. The one word I want to say is not. But they just want to philosophize. Thank you uh, about all kinds of different things. And look at how Paul just hangs in the coffee shops of their day and just and just talks with them. So, um, not now. That's Acts seventeen. Another day. Homework assignment. Acts thirteen. Let's pick it up in verse thirteen. We got to do a little bit of transition here. It says from Paphos. That's where they were before. Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So if you want to go to the map there for a sec, uh, go right there. Remember, we started in Antioch. We went to this island last week of Cyprus, along the whole way along the island of Cyprus, from Salamis to Paphos. We find that um, Paul is going from place to place to place to place along the whole island. In fact, leads the governor of the island to Christ. Then he's going to go from there. He's going to sail up to this place called Perga, and in the midst of all that, John, uh, who other name is Mark, is going to uh, leave them or desert them. Paul's not going to be happy about this. We'll see that later in Acts chapter 15 about Mark or Paul or John leaving them, excuse me. So that's where we are right now. Now, verse 14. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Could you go back to the map there? Uh, there you go. They're going to go straight up to Antioch. Now, a lot of speculation why he did this. Um, if you read Galatians, in Galatians 4 verse 13, Paul says, he says, you know it was because of an illness that I first came to you. Very controversial verse about whether that was written to the group in northern Galatia or southern Galatia. It's amazing. People write like books on this and it's, Boy, it's going to sound offensive, but it's almost like irrelevant. I mean, like, who, who really cares? But like, some people do. They, they're really into this. But they, if it was because of an illness, this would be when he, for some reason, wanted the higher altitude or something. It would make him feel, some people thought he had malaria. There's a bunch of other things. We don't know. It's white space in the verse. We just don't know. It's just white space. So we're not sure. Okay, how does he, how does he start off? Now we got him in Antioch. It's a different Antioch. It's called Pisidia Antioch. Look at the second part of verse 14. It says, On the Sabbath, that would be Saturday, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Oh, I love that. That'd be great. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he's like going places, wanting to talk about Jesus. And he goes and sits in a synagogue, and they said, You know, if anybody's got anything to say, you guys got something to say, why don't you stand up and preach? That's what they're telling them to do. We do not have that kind of guts here at Hope. So if you have a message, uh, type it and put it on my blog. And we'll get back to you <clears throat> later. But they encouraged. They just said, if somebody got a message, stand up. Preach it. Paul went into the synagogue. Paul was a Jewish rabbi. This was good strategy. This is very good strategy. First of all, he went to the people that he knew. And he knew... That rabbis, when they visit other synagogues, will get invited to preach. 
Let me just give you a little bit of a mini application. It's kind of a side application here. Use what God gives you. If you're a Jewish rabbi, go into synagogues. If you're someone who just loves to sit in coffee shops and talk about all kinds of things, use it. Use it however, however, uh, whatever God gives you, use it for his glory. Okay, let's take a look at what he did now. He goes to somewhere, the synagogue, and they ask him to speak. And then basically the, the, the rest of the chapter, all we're going to look at today, we're going to walk through Paul's sermon and the response that happens, basically is, is how did Paul communicate to these people about Christ? How does he do his relevant and reverent message? Verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So they would allow people who weren't Jewish yet, they were called God-fearers, they were Gentiles, they were non-Jews, but they could be in the synagogue area in a certain, certain part, and Paul includes them, and he says, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Now, he's not telling them anything new. Right? Unless you're like a first-time visitor to the synagogue, this is nothing new. Paul starts exactly where they're at. He takes their story, he takes his story, because he's a Jew, he's just a Messianic Jew. He takes their story, starts exactly where they're at, and says, here's the deal. Here's what's happened. He summarizes the whole Old Testament there in just a few verses. After this, second part of verse 20, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Samuel, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So he's going through Israel's history, but he's got a point. He's saying, here's the history of Israel. God's in complete control. And then, and then there's rulers of history. First these judges... And then these kings, he's leading them to a point. He's showing them that God's in control, and that, that there's, but there's something he's trying to show them. Now, I cannot tell you how important this is, starting where people are at. Yesterday, <clears throat> I went out for breakfast with uh, my son, Jonathan. And uh, I'm not going to say anything about what you told me, John. No, 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 worry. Okay. It's a little freaking, oh, oh. Uh, we do this thing called Dad's Day where I take him out to breakfast at that high, highfalutin place, Mac and Don Supper Club. And we uh, were coming on the way home and there was two people at our door. And, and uh, so I, I walked up and I, I kind of figured out the election's over and they're not dressed like Mormons. Must be Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, that's just the way it works in my neighborhood. <laughs> was I right, John? I was right. Exactly right. So there was a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses there, and I, 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 uh, there was this woman and her little daughter, and they were both scared spitless, knocking on my door. So I'm polite and neighborly to them, and, you know, and I'm trying to carry on a conversation, and, and she... Um, 
comes to my door, she knocks on it, and she's got her finger in her Bible like this in, in, in there, and she's going to, she says, do you, uh, do you know anything about what the Bible says about how events currently will lead to the end of the world? And I said, well, a little bit. And then I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, that's not very nice. <laughs> so I said, actually, I, I know quite a bit, because I, I, well, I, a little bit, I'm a pastor. And oh, OK, OK. And then she goes, boom. And she opens up her Bible to where her finger was, and she starts reading Matthew 25 to me, or Matthew 24, I can't, it's 24 or 25. She starts reading it to me. And so, and she basically just starts kind of preaching at me in a very humble and frightened, spitless way. Um, so then I thought, well, you know, I don't really have all day here, and I, I talk a lot with Jehovah's Witnesses because, I don't know, they must have my number of my house or something, and, and uh, I have in, even invited them in, and we talked for a long time, and I, I just thought, let's just boil this down to the main point here. You, you all in the Jehovah's Witness movement don't believe that Jesus was God. You, you don't like that he was divinity. You don't believe in the Trinity. You don't believe that. What do you think about that? And when there was a little interruption there, but she, she never talked to me about that. She just kind of, huh, and went on with her own thing, and I just kind of politely excused her and and that was the end of it. And she said, could we ever come back? I said, sure, sure, not a problem. Now, I was being pretty polite. Otherwise, I'd feel pretty much like a hit-and-run person. And most of it was motivated by her complete and utter fear. You could just, she's almost trembling. The little girl next to her was, was, I'm sure, being a candidate in training on how this was all working. She totally, she asked me questions and then didn't even listen to my answers. Now, I'm not offended. I mean, I'm not hurt or anything. Uh, but at the same time, she didn't start where I was coming from. Let me give you an encouragement. You want to talk to people about Jesus? Ask them questions. And then do a radical thing. Listen to their answer. <laughs> people will care. Chuck Swindoll has said, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. That is so true. People do, not know, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul took time to go through their history with them and saying, we are all on the same page here. Next thing he does, he goes from that point and he takes them somewhere. He says, verse 23, from this man's descendants, he's talking about David now, King David. Everybody loved David. It's like, like uh, I'm trying to think of one of our presidents that everybody loves. And I almost said Abraham Lincoln, but people still hate Lincoln in some parts of the country. Give me a president everybody loves. Clinton, yeah. Um, <laughs> George Washington. Everybody loves George Washington, okay? That's like saying, that's like saying uh, David. When you say David to them, they love David, Okay. Clinton had good things, okay? I, I just, he good, I knew that I'd get a response, that's why. So controversial, that's why I said it. Um, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. Huge word there, Savior. He's brought the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Paul's basically saying, here's your history, here's your little judges, then your little kingies, and now it's Savior time. Jesus. 
Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me, uh, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Basically, a lot of scholars believe that this is in here because the people of this region allegedly knew more about John the Baptist even than they did about Jesus. And I find that interesting, but that's what some scholars have, have come to deduce. So he talks about John the Baptist, but he says, even John the Baptist said, hey, there's somebody coming after me whose, whose Nikes I'm not even able to take off. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us, Paul and his, his messengers here, that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Isn't that great? He says, the people of Jerusalem, which you wonder if there's a little bit of regional stuff there. Yeah, yeah, the people of Jerusalem. But, but saying they blew it, they missed it. But then Paul adds this, but just to let you know that that's completely in God's sovereignty. He did that. It, every, every week in here, we read passages in the synagogue here about that. And he says in verse 28, Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But, one of the great buts of the Bible, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people taking them from the known, what they knew about Israel's history, taking them to the unknown about who this Jesus is. He is the Savior. What you've been waiting for, it's here. Don't you see it? It's here. It's come. It's time. Anytime you're involved in teaching anybody anything, it's going from the known to the unknown. Whoops. Going from the known, uh, yeah, I said it right, known to the unknown. <laughs> I have that disease that always gets those mixed up for some reason. Uh, it's always going from known. You take anything. I did this when I was a math teacher. You, you understand fractions. We talk about that. And then you build it up. And here's multivariable calculus. <laughs> okay. A couple days in between. But you start from the known and you take it to the unknown. And that's what he's doing here. And that's what you do as you're involved with people. You start where they're at. You listen. And you react to where they're at. Third thing he does is he communicates the very heart. He doesn't hold it back. He's not just going to be relevant to these people and what they're there. He's going to be completely reverent. He's going to give them the entirety of the message. Verse 32. We tell you the good news. What God has promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children. It's like... This happened, this was promised to fathers and fathers and fathers ago, but it happens, it's coming true today. This happens in the world. Boston Red Sox, right? 1918, last World Series championship. Then it was promised to their father somewhere that another one will come. <laughs> and only by sending the Savior Doug Mankiewicz too. <laughs> Boston, is it fulfilled? Please do not take that out of context. 
He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. So he quotes Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, and then Psalm 16. He's quoting these people. These people know these passages really well. And he's saying these refer about Jesus. For when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. Okay. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. So he's saying, if you go back there up to verse 35, flip that back for a second. It says, so it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One decay. Paul's saying, there's no way God is talking about David because David is worm food. This is now talking about Jesus because he never did decay. His body never did decay. Verse 38, flip back there. Thanks, Gus. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. If you want the most simple two verses on what the whole gospel message is about, there it is. Verse 38 and 39. Through him, every, or excuse me, therefore, my brother, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes in him is justified. That means that you're declared not guilty on judgment day. Your sins are wiped out, they're forgiven. You're declared innocent on judgment day because of Jesus. There it is. He just totally both barrels gives them the gospel message. Now, what does he do from there? He asks them, what do you think? Verse 40. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And he quotes from Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Paul stands there, he says, here's the deal. Jesus has come, he's Savior, he's the risen one, he's the king of all kings, all these kings you've been waiting for in your history, he's here, you can follow him, but it's more than just a political uh, thing, it's way more than that. He actually is the one, if you, if you trust in him, if you believe in his crucifixion death, you can have forgiveness of your sins and be justified, mean declared not guilty before God. Choices, are you going to believe it or not? Are you going to believe it? Or are you going to scoff at it? He lays it down. He asks for a response. Now, in application, I'm going to let the, the passage do. There's four things. There's three responses that the hearers had, and there's one response that the communicator, that Paul and his followers had. I want to walk those through with we as we close this. I want to ask yourself, where am I? As I hear this message, where am I in this? First category is the tell me more category. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Listen, one of the 
one of the things, responses you can have, and maybe you're even having it this morning as you're hearing for the first time in your life, your roommate woke you up and said, you're coming to church and you're here, and, and you're thinking, wow, this is really cool, but you know, I'm not ready to sign any dotted lines or anything, but I want to hear more. Man, that is a valuable thing. Everybody needs to go through that processing time. No one, it's no one's faith but yours. You have to process it. And if you're here and you're processing, or like we like to say, if you're kicking the tires of Christianity, that is a valuable thing. Have honest questions. If you read the Gospels, Jesus loves to answer honest questions. However, once your questions become, stop being honest, that have behind the question is this, Lord, if you answer these questions for me, I'll follow you. Those are honest questions. When the questions start become, oh yeah, well what if, and then you can fill in the blank, or, or what about, and I don't care if you answer all my questions, I will never follow you, Jesus. Look at how he deals with those people. He deals with them very, very differently. In fact, oftentimes, he asks them a question back to his question. Ooh, beware when Jesus asks you a question. When you asked him a question, it's like, oh, I'm a dead man. He's going to really, but God loves that. If that's where you're at this morning, great. Get around people who can, you can talk openly and honestly about this stuff, and they're not going to ram it down your throat. The second response is, get away from me. Big time resistance. I don't want to hear about this. I, I, don't want, I don't want you to say anything more. When the Jews saw the crowds, this is the next week, there's this whole gathering they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively about what Paul was saying. Think about that for a second. Here's this group of people. There's this amazing thing happening in their synagogue and they're saying it didn't originate from us and we're jealous of it and therefore we want it to stop and we're going to start abusing. Isn't that an amazing word? Abusively talk about Paul and Barnabas. Ah. Oh. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That word reject is just so, it's like holding on a piece of candy and somebody just knocking it away. Got your hand open saying, Christ is free. Christ will give you free gift of eternal life. And they slap your hand. Big time resistance. Now, those of you who are involved with ministry and you are trying to be as reverent as possible and you are trying to be as relevant as possible, you are totally understanding people's culture, where they're coming from. You listen to them. You're involved in the whole process. And you're trying yet to still bring the, the message of, of Christ clearly. You need to know that it will get rejected. You need to know that you can't just say, oh, I'm not doing it relevant enough. And you should always ask yourself that question. Am I really listening? Am I really praying? Am I really loving people so they don't feel like a project, but they know that I love them? But you need to know that still, there will be people who just flat out reject it. They just will happen. I hope that's no one in this room. I hope no one here. I hope at least you're processing, saying, I don't know what you're talking about, but at least I'll process it. 
I beg you not to reject it. It's the most foolish thing in the world to reject a free gift of eternal life. Third group of people. When the Gentiles, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, that Paul was going to no longer hang out with the Jews in the region, but he was going to go to the Gentiles, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. You see, these, these people who are not Jewish always felt like the scum of the earth. And now it's like, woo, we're it. He's going to hang out with us now. And it's interesting in that one sentence that Luke, who wrote Acts, puts both the freedom of their response, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and God's sovereignty of drawing them to himself, all those who were appointed for eternal life, he puts it both there in one sentence. I think that's beautiful. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. You can just see what happens. It's just spreading all the place. People saying, yes, I will take that. But there's more resistance. The Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook their dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. We'll see there what he does there next week. What happens to those who accept it? It says they were glad and honored and they believed. This morning, if you're at a point where you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal, not just the Savior of the world or the Savior of the church or the Savior of your church at home or whatever, I don't care if you're a member of a church or of, any, of this church, any church, and you've never come to a point in your life where you've said, Jesus Christ I receive you. I invite you into my, the room of my life. I take you as my personal sin bearer. I give you my sin and I'll follow you as Lord. If you've never opened the door of your heart like that, you could be like these people. You could be glad and you could honor the word of the Lord right there where you're sitting. Even right now as you're looking at me, you could have a conversation with the Lord and open your heart to do that right here and right now. Now, what's the result of Paul? You think after all this, he'd be kind of bummed up, but that's not at all what happens. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This ride, this ministry ride that they had taken in, in uh, Pisidian Antioch, where they got a chance to hang out with people, deal with them where they're at, and still challenge them with the message of truth. When they left there, even though they were expelled, I don't know how somebody gets expelled, I don't know if it's forceful or what, they were jazzed. There's something in your life that gets jazzed when you truly love people and you truly engage them in the truth of the gospel. Let me close by asking you this question. If you're here this morning and, and that's who you are, you're someone who wants to be involved with, with spreading the message of Jesus, let me ask you this question. Do you ooze Jesus? Think of this circumstance now. Paul and Barnabas are just hanging out in a synagogue. They're just hanging out. It's in Antioch. They're just hanging out. And they said, you got anything to say to us? Paul does not stand up and say, well, we're actually from Jerusalem. And man, you got to see the golf courses down there. They're awesome. The golf courses in Jerusalem, it's incredible. Oftentimes I think we put unrealistic expectations on Paul because, well, he's Paul, but he's just a guy 
And he's just a guy who was in this meeting who was asked to stand up and say something. And he so oozed Jesus that it just blah, came out of his mouth. Cor's going to be talking about uh, speaking of Jesus in his education hour class. And I would commend you and encourage you to go to that. But more than anything, I just encourage you just to so fall in love with Jesus that it just oozes out of you. And when you get involved with people, there's a sense of excitement. When people want me to talk about my wife, I'm excited to talk about her because I ooze Carol. She's the coolest thing since sliced bread. I don't have to, I don't have to manufacture something. I don't have to be nervous and stick my finger in a Bible at somebody's door. I just talk about her because I love her. I'm, I'm letting her ooze. This morning I want to challenge you to let Jesus ooze out of you if you are in that point fourth category of reactions. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask for everyone in this room that you would meet them wherever they're at right now. God, that you would just show yourself to them. And God, if they're at a point where they're just checking you out, um, that you would just show yourself to them. God, that, that it would be very clear what the next step for them, maybe, maybe they just need to even understand what the Bible's all about, or that it's, that it's true, or that its history is accurate, or all those kind of things that, that, that for some of us we went through as a very young age, and for other people that's brand new, and I pray, God, that you would allow us here in this church to truly just engage in love and Wherever people are at, that's where they're at, and we want to allow that to be the case. There are others in the room. God, I pray they're not in the room, but I pray, God, for anyone who is in this room who's at a point where their heart is so cold, they're rejecting you. God, I pray for them right now by your spirit that you would not give up on them, that you would keep drawing them to yourself. They may be even mad at me this morning for saying the words I'm saying, and and Father, I just pray for your hand, your Father's heart to go out to them, that they would, they would feel that love. And Lord, I know in, in uh, my circle of family and friends, there are people I know who have totally and utterly rejected you, that don't want to talk about you. Oh God, it, it can't come through words that I have that are so wise, because they're not. It's got to come by your Spirit, and I ask God that you do that work. Do that work in this room. If there are people who this morning need to have their hearts broken apart so that they can receive you and not reject you. I pray for that, God. Lord, there are others in this room who maybe for the first time in their life want to put their faith in Jesus Christ. For the first time right now, you're calling them to the, yourself. You're saying, you have enough information. You need to take that step and open your heart to me. I pray that right now, right now, e even as I'm speaking, that they would open their hearts to you that they would ask you into their life and they would commit themselves to be followers of you. And Lord God, for those of us who have made that commitment to follow you and yet we want to be engaged in our culture a lot like the way Paul was, God, would you have us ooze Jesus? Would you have us be so in love with you that it just flows off our tongue? It's not uncomfortable. It's not like we're banging people over the head. It's just who we are and we share our, all of our life with people. Would you give us that kind of love for you and love for people, God? pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.